Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, it's the time of year when many producers and agronomists are attending trade shows, industry meetings, and annual general meetings, hoping to gain some insights for the next growing season. Chuck Penner with Left Field Commodity Research gave his outlook for the grains and oilseed markets at Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon. He says he's not a predictor, but rather spends his time doing reconnaissance, assembling information on the past growing season and how that may shape the coming year. I will share my conversation with Chuck. And there is a desperate shortage of agriculture technicians to the point that it's being called a crisis by John Schmeiser, the president of the North American Equipment Dealers Association. He will share what the industry is doing to attract more young people to the field. And he will also talk about the controversy surrounding right to repair. After the break, Chuck Penner. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Chuck Penner is with Left Field Commodity Research. He gave his outlook for the grains and oilseed markets at Western Canadian Crop Production Show and shared some thoughts on what farmers should be watching for prior to the 2023 growing season. This was my conversation with him following his presentation. Chuck, your presentations today at Crop Reduction Show, you covered a few crops and I thought maybe we could chat a little bit about each one of them. So uh, since flax happened today and it's still fresh in my mind, let's talk about that. And uh, um, you closed your report by saying there really wasn't much good news about flax. Why is that? Yeah, unfortunately, that's the case. I, I really like flax. I, I think it, it has lots of potential. But the, the biggest difficulty for flax is is the increase in production in places like Russia and Kazakhstan, uh, where it used to be what happened in, with the Canadian flax crop would set the tone for global markets uh, because we dominated the trade. Uh, and now the size of the crop in that part of the world is three or four times the size of the Canadian crop. And so uh, we've, we've had trouble now exporting to China and Europe because those two countries are supplying it at lower prices. And so uh, Canadian farmers have, um, you know, have kind of uh, lost a bit of their love affair with flax and it's, it's been trending, acreage has been trending lower. So that's, that's the difficulty that it faces and um, it, it is unfortunate. Now, uh, you said wheat ending stocks are going to be low once again. Whenever we think low ending stocks, we're hopeful for higher prices. Do you see that being a trend? I think it is the case for wheat um, because we have been moving wheat at a very, very strong pace, at actually a record pace so far this year. Uh, And so we are going to be really running low. And the seasonal price behavior, the normal seasonal price behavior, shows that we should see some stronger prices. So that could show up both in the base and in the futures prices uh, for wheat. Uh, I, I think we're going to be quite tight on wheat by, again by the end of the year. P acres expected to drop. Why do you see that? Well, uh, it's interesting because the, the price expectations for various crops going into this next year are pretty lofty. Uh, farmers have some pretty strong ideas about where prices should be. And so for crops like wheat and canola, uh, those are really happening. Uh, that, those are some opportunities. And those occupy a very large chunk of the acreage. Uh, and so I think peas are, even though the prices are historically strong, 
they're they're lower than where they were last year, uh, and uh, so it's going to be peas are just going to have a bit harder time competing, especially against wheat and canola. Steady prices for lentils is that a good news story? <laughs> well, it's I think it's a it's a, t- a story related to, to more toward market timing. I think we could again for both of those for both green and red lentils. I think we could see some some price strength going into the spring. Uh, for red lentils, they're going to be kind of weighed on and capped by what goes on with the Australian lentils, which are going to be arriving on the market soon. I think we could see a bit more strength for greens, but. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's a steady market, but even there, that might not be enough to buy acres for next year. What are the biggest issues around chickpeas and uh, production in Canada? Well, that we can't grow enough. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a market where uh, prices have been going higher, and and global supplies are 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 drawing down, and and prices are going higher there. It's just been we've had two years kind of where where the the summer weather has has really worked against us and and could have had even bigger opportunities. But even now, prices are starting to to keep going higher. So it's a good news story. Tice supplies are continuing for barley, and you said, what will China do? And I guess you have made it very clear you're not a predictor. (laughs) But what do you anticipate uh, China will have uh, an effect on the markets? Yeah, China is our dominant buyer. They probably buy 90% of our our export barley, and and so they are absolutely key to what goes on. Uh, I think what we'll see is that that even if, if total Chinese demand for barley goes down other countries that normally supply china don't have any uh, and so even if canada uh, or, or canadian exports to china could continue on to be fairly solid through the rest of the year even if uh, chinese total buying from other countries and what, what have you uh, goes down so i think we're in a pretty good spot and you also mentioned as long as there's no weather problems that could also be a major factor then well, there, yeah. When I look at the weather, the the soil moisture maps for Western Canada, there's there are concerns again, and we've had two years of that for sure, and in some places more than two years, and so we there's not a lot of a cushion supply cushion in crops like wheat and canola and barley and and lentils and you know a whole bunch of them uh, that there's not a lot of a cushion and, and not much room for having weather problems. Canola supplies are still tight, so can we expect these exceptional prices to continue or maybe close to normal, but, you know, we love them. We love the prices high. <laughs> What's going to happen with canola? Well, it's it's very interesting when you... It's, it's all about where prices are uh, or what you're comparing them to. So if you compare them to last year, no, prices look terrible. But if you compare them to before the 21 drought, uh, they still look very, very positive. And canola futures prices have been kind of moving around within a, a pretty wide range of 800 to $900. And I think that is going to continue and maybe even push toward that higher side of that. Uh, we'll also have the Australian crop, a record Australian crop, crop start to hit the market now. And so that's going to limit how much we can do to the upside but uh, i'm i'm looking at some fairly strong prices again the seasonal tendencies show the highs normally in april may that kind of a time frame too mm-hmm. now there will be a big increase in canola crush in the next couple of years with announcements of new plants being uh, constructed so based on your reconnaissance as you like to refer to it uh, canola production needs to increase at a rate that de- of demand in the next two years that you don't think that it's it's going to be a tough 
it's going to be a tough slug. Yeah, the, the increase in the crush capacity is going to be happening over a two to three year period where you look at acreage changes or yield changes especially. Uh, those take, those take you know, more, many more years. So we're not going to be able to keep up to that increase in crush capacity. So what's really going to happen is that our exports of canola are going to take the hit, are going to drop off, while the domestic crush offsets that. Uh, so total demand is going to be very, very strong. It's just the makeup of the where it's going, who's using it, uh, and that type of thing is going to change. One interesting question presented by Tom Steve yesterday, uh, Tom with Alberta Wheat and Barley, talking about how you get your information and where you get it from a lot of it is statistics canada data maybe it's trader or company data what challenges do you face when you're putting your analysis together Uh, because lots of farmers will openly say and not on the record that they may fudge their numbers when they're (laughs) talking about statistics canada uh, reports so uh, what challenges does that present to you people like you well, you learn to, to hold on to your, your estimates and your forecasts a little more lightly because you know those, those numbers can change. Uh, but we do have other sources of information. Some of them are from StatsCan. Those would be the trade data and then the data from the CGC that the, that the grain companies supply and, and those kind of things are really, really solid numbers. So you kind of have to do a little bit of uh, tweaking or or just keeping one in mind the other in mind when you're talking about this and seeing whether is that actually the case and and during the 21 drought uh, we had to make big big adjustments because you know for example in a crop like mustard uh, statscan said we grew 60,000 tons meanwhile we exported a hundred and some thousand tons of mustard so where did all of this come from and it was from the accumulation of years of unreported production so you'll learn some of those kind of things and, and, and you, you, you use disclaimers in your, in your analysis and, and so on. Say, you know, based on the StatScan number, here's what we're thinking, but it could be higher or it could be lower. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. Yeah, great. Always a challenge, though. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Chuck, thanks so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Chuck Penner is with Left Field Commodity Research, speaking following his presentation at Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon. After the break, John Schmeiser, president of the North American Equipment Dealers Association in Canada, he'll share that the shortage of ag technicians has now reached a crisis level and the controversy surrounding right to repair. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. John, you're here attending the grand opening of the Patterson Egg Facility in Humboldt. Beautiful facility, wonderful how this is going to benefit and help the farmers and maybe draw more ag technicians in as well, which is becoming a serious problem for your industry. It is the number one challenge that we have in the industry, and and the business has grown substantially. The equipment has grown. Dealership size has grown. Um, And there's been a lot of equipment sold the last number of years, and where we're stopping a little bit short of taking care of the customer as best that we would want to be, and that's just because of the shortage of mechanics. We've done some internal surveys with our dealers, and on average, a dealership in Saskatchewan, each location is looking for another three mechanics, if they could find them. And 
it's been an issue that's been building and building and building and unfortunately we're not doing a good enough job in recruiting students out of our urban areas like Regina and Saskatoon. They're a little hesitant to come out to our rural areas to take employment, but, but this is a great career. The Ag Mechanics is a great career. It pays very well. It's a very stable career as well, we, and we've got some very positive you know, future in front of us because we're always going to need to eat. We're always going to need to produce food, and to produce food, we need to have equipment, and we need someone to repair the equipment. So it's a priority for us. You had um, mentioned briefly about some of the work that you're doing with some of the educational institutions, uh, working collaboratively with them. Can you share some of your conversations with Yeah, them? absolutely. So there's there's two things that are our focus in the province, and the first one is a high school ag mechanics program for grades 11 and 12 students where it's a combination of distance learning, time at a dealership, and then time spent at Sask Poly's campus in Saskatoon. And, and we have this available for grade 11 and grade 12 students, and we're just just so pleased with the take-up. We've had 120 students go through the program each year in grade 11 and grade 12 for the last four years. So that tells me that there's interest out there if we bring it to the local level. And so with Saskatchewan putting all distance learning in a new Crown Corporation, our program is going to be delivered through that and I think it's going to really allow us to grow that in the future and continually get our trade in front of high school students and get them interested in our trade. And then the second thing is working with SAS Polytechnic. They've had our Ag Mechanics program going back to the 60s. They also have the John Deere Ag Tech program. That's the post-secondary component of learning for, for the trade. And SAS Polytechnic is one of the best schools in North America for delivering ag technician training. And we want to see that program as well, too. We want to see more spaces available for students to come into that program. And then once they go through that, there's also manufacturer-sponsored training that comes afterward. And so their training never ends as an ag technician, which to me makes it one of the most exciting things about it. And I'm sure the ag dealers themselves would be more than interested than having a student come in and just want to ask some questions. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a, a great engagement by our dealers in local communities talking about the positions that are available. But, we, but we're focusing on mechanics because that's the crisis area that we have. But yeah, our dealers are being proactive and meeting with principals at high schools, telling them about the opportunities, being there at open houses and, and career days and just talking about the business. And we do have a step up here because a lot of our um, a lot of our customers have children that know something about agriculture. They know something about equipment, right? And so the trick is, okay, you've already got this working knowledge of equipment. Now let's move you into some post-secondary education and into, into the trade because you're certainly miles ahead of somebody who knows absolutely nothing about agriculture. Mm-hmm. Would you call it a crisis yet? Yeah, we are calling it a crisis. This is a problem that we saw starting in the late 90s. And here we are 20 years later and it hasn't gotten any better. But we've done a number of things, like the expansion of the SAS Poly program, the introduction of the high school program. And then we've also committed bricks and mortar funding of $3.5 million to colleges in Western Canada. And we also have a scholarship program. John Schmeiser is the president of the North American Equipment Dealers Association in Canada. Our conversation continued with right to repair or repair done right. And John had some comments with concerns that producers have about repairing their own equipment. So one of the, um, the biggest challenges that we've had 
is letting the customers know how we support their repair. Okay, so a typical dealership has about a million and a half dollars worth of parts inventory. We want a good parts supply on hand to support the customers when they do their repair. And about 56, 58% of the parts that we do sell, we sell them over the counter to the farmer because the farmer is doing their own repair. And so it ties into workforce development. It's in because we can't, we don't have enough mechanics. It's in our best interest to let the customers or give the customers the tools to fix their equipment as best as possible. So if a customer wants, they can purchase the special tools, the diagnostic equipment, the service manuals, even training, access to error codes so that they can fix the equipment themselves. And if they purchase these special tools, they can do about 98% of the repairs on their own. Okay? Now, Wherever possible, you know, we want our dealers to be taking care of the customer, and stuff is pretty sophisticated. We realize that it may be too technical for our customers, but there is a lot of things that customers can do if they take the time to invest in service advisor, which John Deere provides, or they, they make the investment in the, in the tools, the special tools that are required to repair this equipment. And we, as an industry, make them available no matter what color. A customer can purchase those tools from a dealership to help them do their own repairs. Is there a safety issue when when farmers are, are doing some of these repairs on their own? And I think we've heard a lot about modifications that are made, right? The emissions that are, uh, you know, those are altered or that type of thing. Yeah, so let's address safety first of all. So if a farmer purchases all of the tools, they can do 98% of the repairs. The 2% that they can't do is anything software related, like changing the software for safety reasons, or changing the emissions. And emissions is one thing because if you install a def delete kit and try and get around the emission system of any off-road equipment in Canada, that's against the law. And so we can't condone illegal activity. Uh, the installation of a def delete kit violates the Canadian Environmental Protection Act. So that's against the law. But on the safety side, it's very critical that we don't allow, allow access to changing the software because a good example is you know, all of this equipment is designed for a maximum highway speed of 25 miles per hour, 40 kilometers per hour. The brakes are designed for 40 kilometers per hour. The tires are designed to not exceed 40 kilometers per hour. And if you're monkeying around in the software, even if you're not intent intentionally trying to increase the speed, you could do it by changing something else. So there's unintended consequences by changing the software. And it would be a public hazard if changes to the software were made and some of these unintended consequences were revolved around speed or some of the safety issues, the emergency kill switches and everything like that. So that's why our industry will not support modification to get around emissions or safety issues. You also mentioned modification. Yeah. You know, we firmly believe that when a customer purchases a piece of farm equipment, they can do whatever they want with it. But they also have to realize that there's some consequences if they alter it. So, example, if a farmer chips or tunes or installs a def delete kit on a new tractor, their warranty is void. And when you're spending upwards of a million dollars on a combine, do you really want to have your warranty void by chipping it or modifying it? I think common sense would say no. But even if it's a piece of used equipment and you modify it and you put a chip in it to increase the horsepower, then 
you're violating your insurance coverage if something goes wrong. And a couple, we and we had a, a number of farmers who learned this lesson the hard way uh, back in 2020 when it was very hot in August and, and we're harvesting. There was nine combines in the province that went up in smoke. Okay, during harvest, and we're looking why why was this happening? Well, each one of those combines was chipped. Each one of these combines was out of their warranty period. So when the farmer contacted their insurance company to get paid, the insurance company said, no insurance because you've altered it from the manufacturer's original specifications. So insurance is void. So again, we believe you can do whatever you want with your tractor or your combine. When you buy it, you bought it, you own it. But we want you to be aware of the risks if you chip it, if you tune it, if you install a depth leak kit, because we as an association believe the risk is just not worth it. John Schmeiser is the president of North American Equipment Dealers Association, and we had a chance to talk following the grand opening of the new Patterson Agriculture John Deere facility just outside of Humboldt. Here are some of the top stories from the week of January 9th, 2023. Dumore Agriculture Foundation announced that it would be spearheading a research project to better understand the state of mental health awareness, educational offerings, and resource delivery in the agriculture industry. Dumore Ag is collaborating with Wilton Consulting Group, Openly and Bonnie Taylor to conduct workshops, an environmental scan, interviews, surveys, and focus groups. The information collected will be compiled in a report to be released in the second quarter of 2023. The project is funded in part by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. The Agricultural Development Fund will invest $10.3 million in prairie research projects. Another $7.2 million will go to the University of Saskatchewan's Crop Development Centre for operational support over the next five years. And various producer crop organizations from all three prairie provinces are contributing another $4.6 million for crops research. Saskatchewan's map shows a serious soil-borne disease called clubroot has been reported in more fields. Visible clubroot symptoms were recorded in two more commercial canola fields last year, and the clubroot pathogen was detected in four additional fields. More than 500 fields were inspected for the disease last year. Clubroot can cause significant yield loss when pathogen levels are high. A man well-known in the Canadian beef sector will continue to serve on the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. Alberta's Bob Lowe had been voted in for another term as vice president. He is known as an outspoken advocate for sharing information about raising cattle, feedlots and best management practices. The Roundtable is comprised of beef producers, beef supply chain stakeholders and beef industry groups from Canada, Brazil, Australia, Netherlands and the United States. The leaders will collaborate on the organization's work towards reducing the global warming impact of beef by 30 percent by 2030. Orders are coming in from around the world for PIP International's new natural plant-based pea protein. PIP is an ag tech company based out of Lethbridge, focusing on pea processing. CEO Christine Lewington said they've cracked the code and developed a pea-based protein that promises to revolutionize plant-based food products. 
They've been able to remove the protein from the pea while leaving the starch and fiber behind. In June, the company received $1 million from the Alberta government towards a $20 million pea processing pilot facility in Lethbridge. Lewington said farmers in Saskatchewan and Alberta are going to be the winners with over $100 million in direct to the farmer in sales and contracts. Jennifer Wright has been named the new executive director of the Canadian Agricultural Human Resource Council. Wright worked with the council as a consultant for more than 10 years and then joined the organization as a staff member in 2019. Wright stepped into the role that was previously held by Portia McDonald Dewhurst, who served as executive director for 10 years prior to her passing in July 2022. And the Saskatchewan Cattlemen's Association remembered a tireless advocate for the industry who passed away recently. Harold Martin served on the SCA board on behalf of Saskatchewan Stock Growers Association for over six years. He represented the SCA on several boards, including the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and Livestock Services of Saskatchewan. Martins was agriculture minister in the Divine Government and served as deputy opposition leader. He retired from politics to return to ranching and later served as president of the Saskatchewan Stock Growers from 2011 to 2014. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.